We're going to talk about church this morning, and we're in this series on basics. And what we've been doing is looking at the basic sort of building blocks, if you like, the basic elements of what makes the Christian faith the Christian faith. Who is Jesus? What was his message? We've looked at um, who is the Holy Spirit and what does the Holy Spirit do? Um, we've been uh, looking at all sorts of things that make Christianity the Bible. Um, and now today we're looking at church. And one of the key elements that makes Christianity Christianity is the Christian church. When you said yes to following Jesus, you also said yes to being part of a community. And I'm sure some of you are looking around this morning thinking, I didn't sign up for this. You know, I signed up to follow Jesus. But when you follow Jesus, we also become friends with the people who follow him. They become our family, our community, and that's what the church is. So I want to look at the church this morning. What is the essence of the church? And I want to do that from looking at this passage in Matthew. And the passage in Matthew is about Jesus calling his first followers, if you like, the first church. Now, up to this point, it's just been Jesus. And Johnny, uh, when he started this series on basics, looked at who was Jesus and what was his message. And he went to this passage in Matthew because the passage started with Jesus' proclamation of the message, the kingdom has come, repent and believe. The kingdom has come, repent and believe. And the first thing that Jesus does when he gives that proclamation is look around, who am I going to call? Who's going to come follow me? And he calls Peter and his brother Andrew. Then he calls these sons of Zebedee. This is the first church and so I sort of wanted to start here because it seemed to me that maybe that's a good place to start you and I are here today because Jesus took the step of calling his first disciples and from there the church grew and grew and grew but it stays the same Jesus calls so that's where we're going to go today and I want to just say four things about what the church is four descriptors or explanations if that's right I want to say today that the church is called that the church is different the church is people and that the church is Jesus And look at that, I've got a little image for each one. It's called, it's different, it's people, and it's Jesus. We okay? So let's do that. Let's dive into Matthew. So first of all, the church is called. What is the church? Well, the most important thing, I think, is that the church is called. Jesus comes along and he addresses these fishermen. Come, follow me, he says in our passage. Come, follow me. And then, if you've got the passage, by the way, it might be helpful to turn... Uh, to that passage we're going to be in uh, Matthew 4 come follow me I have work for you to do and they do so they drop their nets and they go now before this what we see like I say is Jesus starting his ministry his work and he defines it as repent turn away because the kingdom of heaven is coming near and so we talked about what this means we talked about the big story of the Christian faith the big story of the Christian faith is that the good God created a good world and who when that world turned bad and turned against him He did not turn against it, but constantly drew close to that world, to people. His work is a work of restoration, of putting the world to rights. And the church then exists within that message. That's what the church is for. That's why Jesus calls these followers. If we want to understand what the church is for, we need to understand that God's work is to put the world to rights. And that's why he calls the church. The church exists then because God wants to put the world to rights and he wants a people to partner with him in that work that's what the church is for that's what it is you know in fact that the word commonly used in the new testament for church is a greek word and it's the word ecclesia everybody say ecclesia Ecclesia. and ecclesia comes from two greek words the first is ek which means out ecclesia means call i used to remember i used to do greek had to sit in a greek class i wasn't very good at it i've forgotten most of it but i remember call uh kale by sort of thinking of like Cali. That's how I used to remember it in my head. I don't know if you sort of have techniques. To remember it. That's the sort of cool cat that I was in Greek class. Um, 
Ek and Kale called out. The church is called out. Or if you like, the called out ones. Did you know that church today, did you know that God has called you out? That you are, we are the called out ones. The church exists because it's God's idea. And there's this whole theme of the Bible of God calling a people. He does it with Israel. He calls them out from among the nations. He says, you are going to be my people, my special inheritance. And the reason he does that is not for them. You know, he doesn't call them out because they can have a good time with God on a Sunday or on a Sabbath, whenever it was. It's not for them. He calls them out so that they can be his agents of change in the world. So that through them, everybody else, all the other nations, all the people who don't know God, might see what it's like to live a life with God and call on God's name, be moved towards God. They're part of the healing process. And so in one sense for Jesus, the people are the message. The church is the message. He proclaims the kingdom and his first act is to gather a people. It's like the outworking of his message is this group. And this is why I got that bit read about salt and light. This is why Jesus sits his disciples on a hill and says to them, you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. The light was a really important image for the people of God in the Old Testament. A light to the nations, like a lighthouse. Why does the lighthouse shine? Again, it's not for the sake of the lighthouse. It's for the sake of everybody else. And so the church is called to be like salt, giving flavour and depth to reality. And the church is called to shine as a light in the world. Bring light so that all people might be drawn to God. So sometimes we sort of think of church as like this human idea. The church is just a group of people who believe the same stuff, got together and we celebrate our beliefs. But it's so important that we see that the church is his project. It doesn't originate on the human side. It originates on the God side. What is the church? It's God's idea. And so Peter, this first follower, this one we read about here, years later would write this letter and it's in the New Testament, 1 Peter. And he describes the church there. He says, after all I've seen and experienced, the church, he says, is God's special possession. I love that, God's special possession. Or sometimes we imagine that this vision to bring the kingdom of God, to change the city, to bring life and love and hope, that that's our idea, church on fire, city alive, that's sort of our idea. We might have come up with the words, church, but the idea is God's. And I love this quote, I'm going to put a quote up on the screen, it's from a New Testament scholar and it says this, just work with me here. It's not the church of God, he says, that has a mission in the world, it's the God of mission who has a church in the world. Read that again. It's not the church. It's not us who have a mission in the world. It's him who has us in his world to be agents of change. And so the church is called it exists because God is changing the world. That's why we're talking about revival here, by the way. That's why we're talking about lives being changed because that's what we exist for. That's what we exist to do. Why over half of all parent and toddler groups in the UK are run by churches? It's why churches across this country and across the world will feed thousands of people this year. They'll volunteer more than any other group statistically. They'll educate in this country alone a million children. Why it was the churches in the deep south of America that rallied to end segregation? Why it was the church that fought to end slavery in this country? Why is the church in this city today fighting to find a hundred new foster homes? God is putting the world to rights, and so he calls a church. The church, we are the ecclesia, the called out ones. The church is called. Secondly, so that's number one. Secondly, the church is different. You might be thinking, yeah, I know it's different. The church is strange. The church is to be different. 
Now we get a little hint of this, I think, in the passage when you see. You see that Jesus calls his first disciples and he says to them, leave your nets and follow me. So they sort of abandon their career to follow Jesus. And then he says to uh, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, he says, leave your nets and your dads. They left their dad and followed him. Now, we sort of don't quite get the sense of this, but I think it's important to understand that in these times, people sort of didn't do that. You know, we're used to living in an age, particularly in cities, particularly in a city like Nottingham, a modern city, cosmopolitan city, we're used to sort of seeing people, they've left home, right? They, used to, they grew up somewhere else in one of the home counties, came to university here and they settled. We're used to people moving around changing. This didn't happen in Jesus' day. You know, Peter's a fisherman from Galilee. You know what his dad was? A fisherman from Galilee. Do you know what his granddad was? A fisherman from Galilee. And so on and so on and so on. You know, hipsters hadn't been invented yet, right? <laughs> this wasn't sort of like these guys were 20-year-olds, they're working in an office somewhere, they sort of got bored. They felt like they wanted to work with their hands, get a bit more real and earthy. You know? <laughs> so they left Capernaum and came down to Galilee. Now, these guys, they grew up here. This is their lives, and this is what they're expecting to be the rest of their lives. And Jesus speaks into that situation, and he says, leave it behind, come follow me. There was a social pattern. There was an economic pattern. There was a family pattern, a religious pattern, which they were leaving behind to do something new. And then you think about the fishing. I don't know if you've ever thought about the fishing image. You know, we talk about Jesus calling his disciples to be fishers of men. And we think about that as though that's sort of quite um, nice language. Actually, fishing, if you think about it, is, is a fairly violent image. Right? You, you sort of throw your net in or your rod in. I'm not a fisherman myself. But um, you catch a fish and you bring a fish from where, as far as I can see, from the outside, it's perfectly happy. Sort of fish in, a, in the water. And you bring it out of the water and now it's on land. There is a sort of quantitative qualitative difference between water and land it's a new reality a new existence it's not the same thing it's not like sort of land is like water but just a bit less wet it's like a completely (laughs) different thing and so Jesus is calling them from one pattern of existence and calling them into a new pattern of existence there's somewhere in the new testament a few places in the new testament it talks about the church as the new humanity the new humanity do you get that The church is not just to be a sort of group of people who believe a certain thing, unlike everybody else, and so they get together and celebrate it. The church is to be different, a new humanity, a new way of being human. So the church needs to be strange, needs to be different, and it needs to stand out. Now hear me right, this isn't about being odd. This isn't about being uncomfortable, difficult for people to access, difficult for people to come in. In fact, the new humanity is called to model the fullest expression of human existence. It's like the idea is that when people come into the church, experience the church, it's like this is the life they always imagined they could lead. This is what life should look like. In the full depth of its reality, this is how grieving looks. This is how mourning looks, as well as this is how joy and beautiful expression, artistic expression, joyful expression looks. The full range of human existence, life lived to the full. So as the new humanity, it does stuff differently. Sex, money, power, differently. And the New Testament especially spends a lot of time saying that, for example, the church needs to be mixed. Young and old, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, slave and free. Again, these ideas aren't all that radical to us, but perhaps they're not all that radical to us because the church in the first centuries was so successful at doing this that it's become part of our norm now in our society. We have human rights, we have equality social justice, in part because the church was so good at following Jesus' way. The church is to be deliberately mixed. Strange people who wouldn't normally mix in the world, mixing 
together. Bridgeford and Bulwell, Rushcliffe and Radford, black and white, young and old, in the same place. And you know where our culture is obsessed by self-image, the church is called to be a group of people who think more of others than themselves. Where the culture praises power, we seek to serve. Where the world worries, says you need to be financially secure before you can be happy. The church says you can be happy now because Christ is in charge and Lord of the world and therefore do not be afraid anymore. Where those people don't mix with them and they'll never get on, the church says let's sit down at one table. We'll forgive one another. We'll talk to one another. We'll share a meal together, bread and wine, one loaf, one cup for all of us. That, my friends, is radical. And so remember though, this isn't about the church being perfect. This isn't about the church getting it all right. Uh, This is about real people being called to real practices, real humanity, trying to live life together, live the fullness of life together in all of its messiness and complication. This is why we develop practices, right? Because we think that each of us and as a community are invited to grow, to grow more and more into this new humanity. Practices help us become more patient so that we can be a better friend, less anxious that we can be more generous, less self-conscious so that we can be more abandoned in worship. The church is different. The church is the new humanity. That's the second thing. Third thing. You still with me? Yeah. The church is people. Johnny, can you tell that? Because every time I stand up to preach, my alarm goes, keeps going off. Can you just turn it off if it comes on? The church is people. Uh, when I was uh, growing up in church, I used to go to church most Sundays, and I used to go to Sunday school, and they used to teach us this song, and the song went a bit like this, I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together, you heard that? Hands up if you heard that, just me, <laughs> thanks Claire O'Donovan, <laughs> yeah. they're all singing it in Bromley, honestly, <laughs> can't get enough of it. And uh, we'd sing it sort of every week. I am the church, you're the church, we are the church. And it sort of had this like, almost like aggressive element to it. It was like, they just sort of, I remember them singing it. This one woman in particular, this one uh, Sunday school worker, sort of had a, obviously a lot on. And she sort of used to sing like, I am the church, you are the church. Where it was like, get it in your head, right? I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. And um, no matter how, how much I tried to hold on to that truth, that we are all the church together, you are the church, I am the church, so often I would forget it. So often I would fall back into this thinking that church was actually what we were doing on the Sundays. Or church was actually the programs and the, the practices that we were doing as church. Church was the services we put on, the events that we put on. And I forgot this central truth that church is a people. Church is a people. And so it's important to see that in the story, Jesus forms this, this group, this ecclesia, this new humanity, by calling people. And they're named find that interesting he doesn't just say you know he called a group of people it's Peter and Andrew and James and John you know he could have started Jesus with the building he could have started there he had this vision for the new humanity the new kingdom he could have drawn up some plans he could have come up with a clever vision statement he could have come up with a management structure a leadership structure program an internship I don't know he could have started seen it grown and then he could have gone round to take on applications He wants to apply it to this thing, but he doesn't. The thing that he starts with is the people. The people come first. It's not like the church exists and then he finds the people to fill it. The people are the church. This is it. The church starts at this moment of calling. You come along and ask him 
tell me about your church, Jesus. And he'd sort of look around at these four people that he's got with him and say, well, sort of, this, is, this is it. And today, you say, where's the church? This is it. This is the church. And I'm not just talking about Trinity Church Nottingham. I'm talking about Heart Church and Vineyard and St. Nick's and, and Little Wherever on the Wall. And I'm talking about the Orthodox Church in Ukraine. I'm talking about Coptic Christians in Egypt. I'm talking about Catholics and Protestants. Pentecostals, uh, Anglicans, Charismatics, whoever. Where is the church? This is the church. And so it's important that we see that the church is you and me. I am the church. You are the church. We are the church together. Just as it was Andrew, John and James and Peter. The church is some, isn't something you attend. It's your identity. Perhaps I can put it like this. The church isn't something you belong to. The church is who you are. And so we have services, we have gatherings, we have structures and practices and programs, but none of these make the church. Now this is actually pretty radical when you think about it, and I just want to say something here. It's important, first of all, because it helps us to understand what's going on when someone says, I have a problem with the church, or they've been hurt by the church, or I like Jesus, but I'm not so big on the church. And I just want to name that. How has the church done through the ages? How has it done in your life of being the new humanity, being the called out ones? How has it done? But really, because the church is a people, what we're really saying is when we look at those things, we look at those areas where it's quite clearly the church has not lived up to everything Jesus imagined that it could be. What we're saying is, it's not the church that has hurt me. It's people that have hurt me. You know, it's that structure of the church that has hurt me or it's that culture in that place at that time that has hurt me. And some of these we're talking about sort of systematic failings over many years. I know that. But it's those systems, it's those structures, it's those people involved who have hurt me, have hurt others. And I'm not going to justify the horrific actions that have been carried out in the church's name. But the way around it, I don't think, is to find excuses. I think it's about saying that it's not so much the church that's doing anything. In one sense, the church can't. God's project can't possibly hurt people. People can hurt people. The institution can hurt people. That group can hurt people. But the church, God's project, it can't. And God's church is made up of people. Sinful, broken, hurting people. Just like you and just like me. Second, though, it's radical to say this. That the church is people. Because it means that the church exists all week. Because you exist all week. You know, what Jesus wasn't telling his disciples was, come follow me, and leave your nets behind, follow me. I'll see you at 10.30. We're going to meet for a few songs. And I'm going to give a word down by the lake. 10.30 every Sunday. Come along, I'll see you there. Leave it all behind. I'll see you every day. It exists wherever you are. Church is on the bus, at the desk, behind the counter, in the workshop, in the library. You are the church. And it certainly doesn't depend on me, Vicky, Johnny, Amy, or any other church leader. In fact, all of this, the programs, the teachings, the leadership, they all exist simply to enable you to be the church. You are the ones on the front line. Every day, we're just at, sort of at the back offering supports and resources to help you in your ministry, your mission at the front line. You do the stuff. You are the ministers. You are the prophets and the priests. Our promise is to do everything in our power to enable you, to equip you and support you to do the work that God has for you to do. And that balance is so important. As Trinity, we don't sort of want to do anything as a church, you know, sort of as an institution. 
If that means Johnny or Amy or me or Vicky or Craig or someone else running something on behalf of Trinity, we can do that, but that's not a church thing, that's something else. A Trinity church thing will simply be something that someone or a group of people at Trinity do. It starts a football ministry, a breakfast meeting, prays for someone on the street, visits a lonely person regularly, hosts a fundraising evening, begins a worship night, launches a small group, hosts a meal, opens a shop, forms a new charity, whatever it is, sees a need in this place and acts, whatever it is, that's the church in action all over this city. That's what Trinity Church looks like. And the great thing is that because we're all the church, we all get to share in it. That thing she's doing, I'm part of that. Right? That group, I don't go to, it's not my idea, I didn't come up with that vision. But that's me, thank you. You know, when Peter will stand and preach on that day of Pentecost, Andrew's right there with him. Wherever John will go in the future, James will be with him. Wilberforce ending slavery, that's my family, I'm proud of that. Mother Teresa, she's my sister. And those Christians, by the way, as well, I want to say this, standing up today for their faith in Iran and Syria, China, Nigeria, Egypt, Catholic, Copts, Orthodox, Pentecostal, I don't care. Those people who are giving their lives, making sacrifices for their faith. They are my brothers and they are my sisters. And as they are persecuted, we are all persecuted. One Jesus, one church, one body made up of different parts. When they are attacked, we all bleed. That's what it means to be the people of God. That's what it means to belong to the church. I am the church. We are the church. You are the church. We are the church together. And so my question is this. What part of the body are you? What is yours to do? Your contribution to this vision of revival. What dream does God have for you this morning? Not the institution, not Trinity. How is he asking you to be his church in your world today? So the church is people. Called, different and people. Finally, and I want to land here. The church is Jesus. The church is Jesus. Now I hope it's come through in all of them. But I wanted to end here because it seems to me that so often we talk about church and what it does, or we even talk about our own individual vocation and calling, and we miss the most important thing. The thing that is not a thing, but a person. Jesus calls his disciples, they exist as this new family only because of him. It's his idea, his vision, his dream, his initiative. And so the family holds together because of him. But it's also more. So we've been going through uh, the last few weeks looking at the Holy Spirit. Johnny talks about who the, and Amy talks about who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does. And I'd encourage you to listen back to those if you want to. And Jesus sends the Spirit when he's died and he's risen back, back to the Father. He's gone back to the Father. He's left the disciples. But he's, before he goes, he says something interesting to his disciples. He says to them, you know, when I go, I know it's going to be hard. Right? I've been with you. We've been journeying together, learning this Jesus way together. We've been being the church together. I've been, able, I've been with you. You've been able to see me, touch me, feel me, hear me, and I'm going to go. But I want you to know this. When I go, it's going to be even better for you. And it's a strange thing to say because he's so tangible in that moment. He's so real. But he says, if I go, it's going to be better. And it's going to be better for you because I'm going to become more real to you than I was before. And this is his promise to us as well. And even this morning, this is his promise to us. 
You won't be able to touch me, feel me, seal me, see me. I'm going to be far more real than that, he says, far closer than that, within you, dwelling in you, in your heart. If you let me, beating through you, pulsing through your veins, that's how close I will be, teaching you to think my thoughts, feel my feelings. And so the church in the New Testament is described again and again as Jesus's body. Where is Jesus now? By his Holy Spirit, get this, he's in the church. He is here. This is his body. If people want to see Jesus, where do they look? Some people aren't going to open a Bible. Some people aren't going to go to listen to a podcast online. But they can see the church. That's where they see Jesus, his hands and his feet. And so here's the call for the church as it has been through the ages. You are nothing, church, if you don't stay connected to Jesus. You see that? If the church is Jesus' body, then without him, his spirit at work, acknowledged, prayed for, celebrated, sought after. I don't, like, I don't know what the church is. It's like a teapot that doesn't pour tea properly, right? I don't know what it's for. I don't know what that thing does. The church without Jesus, I don't know what it is for. And so that's why we talk in this place about prioritising the presence of God. God with us, Jesus with us by his spirit. It's why we give ourselves individually and as a group and by the way, that's an important dynamic that we meet Jesus individually, but we also meet him as a group. And where Jesus says, you know, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be with them. Where the church is gathered, I'll be with them in a particular way. That he's not with us in a particular way as an individual. He is with us always. But there's something special that happens when we come together. And that dynamism is so important all the time. Going, feeding from one to the other. Individual and as a group, and as a group and as individuals all the time. It's so, so important. But we prioritise Jesus' presence with us because without Jesus' presence, we lose the very reason for which we exist. John Sensamu, the Archbishop, he says this, you know, really the whole thing is very simple. Says so Jesus says to his disciples, says to his followers, he says, you are the light of the world. And so what's our job, he says? The Archbishop says the job is simply to stay plugged in. That's the job. You are the light of the world. He says, shine like a light in the darkness. Be part of God putting the world to rise. That's what you're for. What's your job? You can't make the light yourself. You can't get the power. You can't get the electricity. You can't have that voltage running through you of your own efforts. Stay plugged in. Pray, read, meditate, spend time with other Christians, do all the things, the practices, whatever it is to prioritise the presence of God that you might shine. That's the call. Plug ourselves into the source, pray, read, give time to him. And we believe that if the church is filled with the spirit, then it will do things. It will change things. History shows that it will. In fact, the more filled with the spirit, the more impact the church will have. It's not an either or choice. It's not like sort of social justice versus worship or evangelism versus presence. It's all together. The more we practice presence, the more we prioritise putting God at the heart of our lives, the more we will be a light, the more we will be soul, adding depth to our families, to our schools, to our workplaces, wherever we find ourselves. Stay plugged in. Let's stand together, shall we? <clears throat> Just going to invite Joanne and the band to come up. your practice to hold out your hands it's a posture of receiving feel free to do that I'm just going to pray a prayer 
um, just thinking back to those words that came to your mind when we did that um, word association, the words that you brought, your experiences of church, where you've been, what you've seen, what you've done and what's been done to you in church. I just feel the call for us to, this morning is to stay plugged in, whatever we bring. We are the church. We are the church. And uh, I think in my mind, I've been thinking about Peter a lot. You know, Jesus calls Peter the first disciple, the first sort of member of the church, if you like, he calls Peter. And Peter has so much to learn, so much to grow into, um, to learn what it is to be in this body. But he ends up actually leading the church, a very significant leader in the church. God takes him from being a simple fisherman, very ordinary existence, and brings him into something extraordinary. I just feel for some of us today is an invitation it's connected to the church that through the church God might take your life and do something extraordinary through it and it's as he's empowered by the spirit that God takes him so Lord I pray today we pray to you as your church as your people we pray as the people you have called striving to be different your body your hands and feet we're desperate Lord God for you to fill us by your spirit that we might truly be your church your people